Well, good morning, family. Before we go into the Word this morning, why don't we go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we are so grateful that Rose is now part of Sarah's family and part of ours as well. We love these folks. Ask your blessing on them. Father, we bring before you this morning our brothers and sisters around the world in Ukraine. Uh, We were reminded through our missionary Tom Chilton of the number of folks that he has been working with in the Ukraine who have been working with children. And we realize that we have a number of brothers and sisters there in that land uh, whose worlds have been turned upside down. Their lives are in danger. Their possessions are are basically gone and and uh, uh, so much that we just can't imagine. We ask your grace upon them, your protection of them. And most of all, I know what their concern is, that there is a, Father, that the gospel would not be hindered and that you would be honored in them and through them in the midst of all of this. Father, we we come this morning to your word recognizing that we are a needy people. We are people who are in, we're sinful. We've got a lot of stuff in our life, a lot of rough edges that you are busy trying to work off. As we come to this passage this morning, that is really the attempt there. You are are seeking to teach us in who we are to be and how we are to live. I pray that we would have attentive uh, minds and receptive hearts to listen to you this morning. So we commit this this time to you, ask your grace upon it and upon us, and may we honor you in it. In Jesus' name, amen. Take your Bibles, if you would, and open to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 5. We are in a series looking at the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, today we come to verses 33 through 37. I must say this morning, I have just a little bit of fear as I come to the text. And two weeks ago, when I stood up and confessed to the fact that I was a murderer and a serial killer, and last week when Pastor Aaron got up here and spoke about adultery and divorce and gouging out eyes and lopping off body parts in order to prevent sin... Today just might be a little mundane. (laughs) I hope not. As we come here to this passage, though, that it truly is something that we need to hear. The Lord doesn't waste words, and He tells us that which we desperately need to, to know. We come here to Matthew 5, and I don't know if you've noticed, but we live in a world that is filled with liars. They're everywhere. Because we live in a world that is filled with liars, we have a world that is filled with lawyers. Some of you may think those two things came together at the same time, the lawyers and the lawyers, but I don't know we have any liars, I mean, lawyers here, so um, I can joke about you. That would go back to murder two weeks ago, so scratch that. We won't. Uh... No, lying is pervasive in our land. That's why we have... That's why we have lawyers and contracts and courts and, and laws all designed to uh, help discourage people from lying and to attempt to hold people accountable for when they do lie and in the process hurt others. 
Lying is pervasive in our world and it creates problems in our homes. It creates problems in our society, whether it's what is stemming from, you know, the little lie uh, in the kitchen about who ate the last cookie or whether it's an international lie about who really started this war. <laughs> the bottom line, the human response is very often and most often, not me, <laughs> I didn't do it. There's lies at the heart of so much. Two years ago, a disease began to spread rapidly across the world. It crossed every time zone. It crossed basically every border. It crossed every climate. And as of just a little bit ago, there were over, as far as I know, over 400 million people who have been infected and sick with this disease. Some 8 million people are said to have died from this so far. But COVID-19 is not the deadliest pandemic that this world has ever seen. Nor is it's not the first pandemic we've seen. However, I think it's not a far stretch to say that the COVID-19 pandemic has potentially been the most economically and socially disruptive pandemic that has ever happened so far. And I think it is most assuredly the most divisive pandemic that has ever happened. It's no secret that across the world, throughout our nation and even in our church, we have had sharply different responses different viewpoints, different opinions, uh, all about this pandemic, different ideas of how to deal with it or not to deal with it. And at the core of the differences and the divisions that have occurred over this pandemic is the issue of credibility. What voices can we trust? Because the voices that are out there that are speaking are wildly different in so many ways. What voices can we trust? Information has been often withheld. Information has been twisted. Information has been understated. Information has been exaggerated. Information has even been fabricated by many people on both sides of, of these issues. And I, I imagine it has been for you as it has been for us as leaders in the church, us as leaders in our homes, it's been difficult to figure out what to do, hasn't it? Because you don't know who to believe. And in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus comes right to this issue of truthfulness. You know, we cannot fix the problem out there. We can't do away with all lies and liars in the world out there. But Jesus is calling us as His people in this Sermon on the Mount. He calls for us to be radically different than the world around us. And I think that there is possibly no greater point of difference that should happen than in this area of truthfulness. He's calling for us to be people of truth. And in so doing, to be in that way, have an impact, a great impact, 
on the little part of the world in which we live, in the little part of the world where we interact here in St. Charles County. Here's the command, verse 33. You, you know, recall in this, in this section of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus goes back to the Old Testament and pulls out some, a command, a part of the law from the Old Testament, and then He says, this is what you've heard, and now let me tell you, and He gives us some real insight into that. We've seen that for a couple of weeks, and we're going to have a couple of more weeks where Jesus goes back to the Old Testament and calls our attention to the law. And so the first thing that he does here in this section, verse 33, he brings us to a command from the Old Testament. And Jesus says, verse 33, again, you have heard. You've heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. You shall not swear falsely, but perform to the Lord what you have sworn. In other words, he says, do not break your vow to the Lord. Now, there's a little break here from the pattern of, that we've seen in the last two weeks. In the past two weeks, when Jesus went back to the law, he went right back to the law and quoted directly from the Old Testament law. Today, if you go back and you try to find in your Old Testament this exact quotation, you won't find it there. Really, it's, it's a combination, amalgamation of a couple of different passages. The primary passage that, that this comes from is Leviticus chapter 19, verse 12. You shall not swear by my name falsely and so profane the name of the Lord your God. You can see that in that statement that Jesus gave. And then also we find over in uh, Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy chapter 23, we find this statement. If you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay fulfilling it. For the Lord your God will surely require it of you, and you will be guilty of sin. And so the rabbis the, and the, the scribes and the Pharisees of that day had taken these, uh, these commands, put them together, and Jesus, I imagine, is quoting there, a common phrase that would have been heard in the, in the synagogues and heard in the temple from the rabbis and others. Just as they would have quoted the Old Testament before, in this case, they bring these two passages together and say, you shall not swear falsely or make false vows, but you shall perform to the Lord what you have sworn. And we might ask, well, what's the problem with that statement? Jesus is going to say, you've heard this, but I'm going to say, here's what I say to you. And we might ask, what's wrong with that? Shouldn't we perform? Shouldn't we fulfill? Shouldn't we do whatever it is we have vowed to the Lord or promised to the Lord? Shouldn't we do that? And the answer to that is, of course. Matter of fact, that's been the case in, in each of the other commands we've seen that the Lord Jesus quoted. The problem wasn't with the command. The command was right. The command was good. The problem was with the way that these religious leaders of the day had interpreted and applied the command. So the command is don't break your vows to the Lord. The problem is, verse 34 to 36, and we're going to start there in verse 34, where Jesus says, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all. And I'm going to stop reading right there because a lot of people have stopped reading right there. 
And they have, there have been people throughout the history of the church who have read this and say, oh, the problem here, Jesus says, is taking oaths. We should not take oaths and make vows. There's the problem. And so we won't, we won't do that. And there are folks like the Quakers. If you go back in American history, you can read about the Quakers and some of the Mennonites and some of the Moravians. And, um, and when they would, for example, be called into court and they're asked to put their hand on the Bible and swear to tell the whole truth and nothing but the truth, so help me God, they won't do that. They'll refuse to do that because Jesus said, you are to not take an oath. Take no oath at all. And so it's fair to stop there and ask the question, is that what Jesus means here? Because it sure sounds like that's what he says. Well, I'm here to tell you, that's not what Jesus means. You say, Pastor, how can you say that for sure? Well, I'm just going to go to a few other scriptures. For one, if I go a little bit farther in Matthew to Matthew chapter 26, Jesus Christ is on trial before the religious leaders of the day. And Jesus is put under oath. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so. Jesus answered under oath. You say, well, pastor, that maybe we can say that, but Jesus there doesn't swear an oath personally. He doesn't say, I swear to you in the name of God that I am the Messiah. So maybe was Jesus really under oath? Well, Legally he was, but we might argue Jesus didn't endorse taking oaths there. So we'll just move over in the Scriptures just a little bit to, for example, to 2 Corinthians. The Apostle Paul writes to the Corinthians and he says this, But I call God to witness against me. It was to spare you that I refrained from coming again to Corinth. Paul says the reason I didn't come to Corinth was to spare you. It wasn't all these other things that there were some rumors going around. But Paul makes an oath. I swear, I call God to witness against me if I'm not telling the truth. Paul is taking an oath. He takes an oath also over in Romans chapter 1, verse 9. He does the same over in the book of Colossians, and the reference escapes me at the moment. But Paul several times takes oaths. We can also go through the Scripture and find other godly people at times who took oaths. As a matter of fact, in the Old Testament, there were provisions made for people to take oaths or vows. And matter of fact, if all of that isn't enough, you go to the book of Hebrews in chapter 6, and what you discover there is God takes an oath. It says there, the writer of Hebrews says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself saying, surely I will bless you and multiply you. He goes on to say that whenever whenever someone makes an oath, they make an oath by something higher, something bigger than themselves. Because the point is to say, if you don't believe me, well, we're going to, you know, put, I'm swearing by, you know, and people say, on my mother's grave, I swear by everything holy, I swear by whatever. And, but if God is going to take an oath, there's no one greater, nothing greater to swear by, except himself. And so the point is, God said, surely I will do this. God took an oath. It's in a very formal form of an oath-taking there. So, in other words, if Jesus is saying oaths are bad, then all these other things are wrong. That can't be. 
So Jesus isn't saying all oaths are bad. So what does Jesus mean? Well, it always helps to not just stop, (laughs) but to keep reading. And we get the picture as we read, keep reading here in the text. But I say to you, back to verse 34, but I say to you, do not take an oath at all, either by heaven, for it's the throne of God, or by the earth, for it's his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it's the city of the great king. And do not take an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. So Jesus says, don't take an oath at all by any of these things. And it helps to just try to figure out what's going on. What has happened is the religious leaders have taken the command that the two commands we read in the Old Testament, they put those together and they said, fulfill any vow you've made before the Lord. Don't make false vows. Don't take an oath and not fulfill it if you've made an oath to the Lord. The problem is that they took that and they interpreted it to mean this. We have to keep our word. We have to fulfill our vows. We have to do whatever we have promised in God's name, or to God. And that sounds good, except for the little bit of legalese that's in with that. we got to do it, you see, or, or it's sin and God's going to hold us accountable. We read that in the command. But if we don't actually do it in God's name, or we don't actually make the promise to God directly, then just maybe... We don't have to do it. Matter of fact, you see, just maybe if instead of saying God's name, we only say, I swear or I promise by heaven. That sounds good. But they would say, I didn't use God's name. Don't have to keep it. Or if I just say, I swear I'm going to do it by the holy city, by Jerusalem, or by whatever, that there's a loophole there and we've gotten out of the little vow that we've made. That's what's happening here. And you say, Pastor, how can you be sure that's what happening? That's what's happening here because it, it doesn't really say that in this text, does it? And so that would be a great question to ask if I got up here and just made that statement. How do you know that? Well, I know that because there's more Scripture Now here, we go in Matthew and just flip over a few chapters. You don't have to turn there, but you can if you want, to Matthew chapter 23. What's happened in Matthew chapter 23 is Jesus is going there and He's confronting the the Pharisees. He's confronting the religious leaders over their hypocrisy. And He addresses this exact same issue with just a little more clarity about what's going on. Are they looking at loopholes here? The answer is absolutely. Look at verse uh, verse 23. Jesus is talking to the religious leaders. He says, Woe to you blind guides who say, If anyone swears by the temple, it is nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold that's of the temple, he's bound by his oath. You blind fools, for which is greater? The gold or the temple that has made the gold sacred? 
Now, he goes on to give several more illustrations along the same line to point out what they're doing. But one is enough for us to get the picture. What they're doing is playing word games. They're playing games here with the truth. So they can say, if they swear by the temple, the vow doesn't count. But if they swear by the gold of the temple, well, i got to keep the vow. And they've been doing the same thing with God's name. See, what's really bizarre here is they thought that what mattered was not the truthfulness of whatever statement they made, but what mattered was the formula (laughs) by which they guaranteed their statement. So it doesn't really matter if I tell the truth or not. It only matters if I use the formula that guarantees that I'm telling the truth and it matters. Otherwise, we can say something is not true. And we just beat the system. Doesn't that remind you of being kids on the playground at school? And when, you know, somebody, some kid is saying something, No, no, I swear! Cross my heart and hope to die! And if they really are serious, then they'd add, Stick a needle in my eye! (laughs) And you go, Wow, that's pretty serious! Don't want a needle in my eye. They must really mean what they say. So you go and you try to collect on whatever it was, you know, and then they said, oh, man, it didn't count. Why? Had my fingers crossed behind my back. And we all know that cancels out everything. Right? That's exactly the game that these guys are playing here. These supposedly pious, super righteous religious leaders They are habitually making promises using these big, impressive-sounding oaths. I promise you, by the temple of God... Oh, we have to leave his name out. I promise you, by the temple... I'm not a good legalist here. (laughs) I promise you, by the altar, later on, in the temple. That wasn't binding unless you pledged by the sacrifice on the altar. (laughs) Or whatever. And we go, that's stupid. But they were dead serious. They would make these big oaths and then they would renege on the oath. So, you know, they'd go and borrow money from some guy and say, I'll pay you back next week. And they'd make this big vow and the guy said, man, that's a lot of money. I'm not sure if I can trust you, but you are a Pharisee after all. You're a religious person and... And uh, you're swearing by something that sounds really holy and really important. Okay. And then he goes to collect next week and the guy says, man, I'm sorry. But, uh, you know, there, I don't have to keep that vow because I didn't use God's name. And in the process, these guys still feel very pious, very holy, very righteous, all through it. So Jesus' point here in these verses is don't make frivolous vows. Don't make frivolous promises. Don't make vows and promises you can't keep because there are really no loopholes. There's there's no loopholes. There's no excuses. You see, that's his point in going through these in verses 34. Go back to the text where he says, 
Swearing by heaven, you, you can't swear by heaven and say it doesn't count because I didn't use God's name when who lives in heaven? God. It is God's throne. Swearing by earth doesn't get you off the hook for keeping your vow because the earth is God's footstool, the Scripture says. Swearing by Jerusalem doesn't get you off the hook from keeping your, your vow because Jerusalem is the city of the great king. It's the city of God. It's his city. It's the one where God chose to put his name. It says, nor does swearing by, even by your own head doesn't get you off the hook. You know, I'm transferring it to me, not to God. But he says, what control do you really have over your life? says here, you don't have control over your own hair color. Now we all say, yeah, we can. <laughs> Somebody invented Clairol, thank you very much. And what he says is, no, you can change your hair color, but he says you can't change your natural hair color, even if you don't remember what it is. Because <laughs> it's been so long since anybody has seen it. <laughs> There's no loopholes. And that's why Solomon wrote in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, he says, when you... Vow a vow to God. Do not delay in keeping it or in paying it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better not to vow than to vow and not pay. There's the problem. These folks have been making frivolous vows. Jesus says this shouldn't be the case. But there's a principle that's even bigger than that. As with the case with murder, murder is not a good thing. And Jesus wasn't erasing the command to murder, but he said the command was bigger than murder, than actually taking a physical life. It's the same thing with adultery. Jesus said, yes, uh, he wasn't negating the command to don't commit adultery, but he's saying that adultery is bigger than just the physical act of unfaithfulness. The principle, Jesus says, we find in Verse 37, Jesus says, let what you say be simply yes or no. Anything more than this comes from evil. As in the other commands that, Jesus, that we've seen Jesus deal with so far, once again here, the core concern, the real issue here is our hearts. The real issue here is, someone put it, the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. <laughs> it's beyond just a simple lie. It is the fact that Jesus is calling for you and me to be people of truth, to be truthful people. There's the principle. It's not about just breaking an oath. It's about being a truthful person and about being a truthful person because of your character rather than because you just feel obligated by some vow that you made. Again, this whole Sermon on the Mount is all about what should a follower of Jesus, what should someone who claims to be a Christian look like? Well, Jesus is saying, if you are going to be a Christian, if you are a follower of mine, you are to be a truthful person. Why is this a big deal? Well, for one thing, it's because God is holy. 
God is holy. He does not lie. Uh, Numbers chapter 23, verse 19. God is not a man that He should lie. Titus chapter 1, verse 2 says, God who never lies. God does not lie. Because God does not lie, because God is a God of truth, He is truth. We know Jesus, God incarnate. He said, John 14, 6, I am the way, the truth. There is no untruth found in God. And God hates lying. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 21, Lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. I won't put it on the screen, but if you go over into Proverbs chapter 6, you may recall there's a list of things. Six things the Lord hates. Yes, even seven. There's seven things the Lord hates. Number two in the list, you know what it is? Lying lips. God hates lies. So Jesus says that those who follow Him, our yes should be yes. It should simply mean yes. And our no should mean no. Oaths should be unnecessary to guarantee our speech. And then he went on, the end of that verse there, to say that anything more than this, verse 37, anything more than this comes from evil. In other words, if it takes more words than your simple Statement, if it takes more than that to guarantee that you're going to live up to your word, then your words are coming from an evil place. If your words can't be trusted, he says, they come from evil. Actually, I think a more literal translation is from the evil one. Why is that? Because lying originated with Satan. You may recall over in John chapter 8, Jesus is talking about Satan when he says, He, Satan, is a liar and the father of lies. The Pharisees of that day knew the Scripture very well. Let's make no mistake. They knew the Old Testament Scriptures better, I would say, than most any of us. They knew them backwards and forwards. They could quote them, recite them. And so they knew the Ten Commandments there in Exodus chapter 20. They could quote the Ten Commandments. Most Christians can't. Probably should. You know the third commandment? Brain is smoking. It says, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Or, you, or I like the way the NIV puts it pretty well. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Not misuse it. Not take it vain uh, is really in an empty way. Not use the name God's name flippantly. Not use it, well, not attach it here to things that aren't true. God's name is holy. And therefore, His name should be guarded as holy. It should not be misused or used in a careless manner or used in a sinful manner. And these, these religious leaders understood that very well. And so they, that's why they were careful. Well, if we use God's name, we've got to keep that vow. 
And so they were real careful to do that. But then they thought that for somehow, that when they would go out and make a vow without God's name, that they're scot-free. They're guilt-free when they break that vow because they didn't use God's name. I wonder how many of you ever had your dad, when you were young, say what my dad would sometimes say to me when I would walk out the door. Be on my way out the door and dad would say, Hey, Keith, just remember whose name you wear. Whatever you do reflects on your mom and me, your brothers, your grandparents, all your family. That's true, isn't it? That's true of our earthly family. It's true when we name the name of God. See, these religious leaders are saying... We didn't put God's name in the formula that we use to guarantee our word. And then they totally missed the fact that they say, we, the Jews, are the children of God. Because God has called us His children. And we, this, we are the spiritual leaders of God's people, God's children. And then they go out and they blatantly lie and think we're guilt-free. Well, what they have just done is dragged God's name through the mud. They have misused God's name. Not in their speech. But see, they wear God's name everywhere they go and everything they do. Brothers and sisters, it is the same today for everyone who names the name of Jesus Christ. Every one of us who says, I'm a believer in Jesus, I am a Christian. We wear the name of Christ, do we not? Sadly, how often I fear the name of Christ has been drugged through the mud, it has been maligned, it has been ridiculed because Christians are not people of their word. See, it was really easy to throw rocks at those Pharisees and say what arrogant jerks these guys were to go and make these vows all with the intention to deceive and trick others. And yet, brothers and sisters, have we not done the same when we, as Christians, lie? We may not have used God's name in the lie, but we have worn the name. We're guilty of the same sin. It's so easy to lie, isn't it? So easy to break promises, even to break oaths, vows. I have sat with believers many times who have been caught in big lies. They've lied in business, they've lied on their taxes. They have lied to their family. They have broken their vows. They have broken promises. And they've been caught. 
For most of us, we haven't been caught in big, blatant lies like that. But yet, who among us can say we don't lie ever? It's so easy to lie, isn't it? So easy. So easy that so many of the times we don't even notice that we're lying. Sometimes we even do it in church. I mean, here's one. How many times have you ever said to somebody, yeah, I'm praying for you, or I will pray for you, and you didn't do it, or you haven't been doing it? Anybody else guilty of that ever? Ever? I mean, ever is a long time. That's like our whole life. See, it doesn't take me but 10 seconds to find that I've lied in the very near past. We do it so easily. Hey, come on, we're going to go to church tonight, you know, to to Iwana. Don't you want to come? Sure, I'll try hard to be there. (laughs) You know know you're not going. (laughs) But we do that sometimes, don't we? Oh, you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings, so you tell them a lie instead. That makes sense. (laughs) It's a tall order. For Jesus to call for us to always speak the truth, isn't it? But yet there are dozens of passages in Scripture calling us to just that very thing. Here's just one. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Time and time and time again, the Scripture says, speak the truth. Speak the truth. Speak the truth. It's the right thing to do. Jesus' reputation is depending on us being people of the truth. What a very unique thing it would be if all we spoke, everybody here in this room, if all we spoke was the truth ever. That would stand out, wouldn't it? It would be refreshing as well. We live in a world of liars, but in a world of people who are frustrated to death with lies. And they are looking to see, does anyone have integrity? Will anyone speak the truth? It ought to be us. That's to be our aim for followers of Jesus Christ. Be people of truth all the time. But if we're going to do that, let's be honest, we need help, right? So these words should be on our lips quite frequently. Proverbs 30. Most of the Proverbs were written by Solomon. This is one that wasn't. Proverbs 30 was written by Agur. And he makes this prayer. He says, remove far from me falsehood and lying. That's a prayer that ought to be on our lips often. God, make me a person of truth. God, I know I'm I'm often tempted to lie and I sometimes fail, but I don't want to be that person. Help me to be a person of truth. Remove it far from me so that when I fall, it's rare and it's very seldom and I'm immediately convicted and I make it right. Okay? There you go. There's a prayer for us. 
And just let me end with this, by the way. I want to be clear that Jesus isn't calling for you and me to be truthful so that somehow we can try to be good enough to get to heaven. Let me tell you, getting to heaven by being good, that, that ship has already sailed and it sank. We just go to this right here, and that's part of this, what Jesus wants us to know as well, to those who are listening who weren't believers. He wants us to understand none of us can be good enough to get to heaven. Because how many of us have lied? Every single one of us have lied. If you've lied even once, what does that make you? A liar. And liars, the Bible says, go to hell. Go look at it. Last chapter of the book of Revelation. Who's outside of heaven? All liars are in the list. That's bad news, but there's good news in the Bible. We don't get to heaven by being good because we can't. But God has made a way for us to get to heaven through Jesus Christ. Jesus came to pay the penalty of our sin. And the way we get to heaven is by receiving forgiveness and grace from God through Jesus by believing, by trusting in Jesus. You know the verse. It says this, God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son and whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. That's how we get to heaven. Now as those who are going to heaven, as those who have been forgiven, we want to live as Jesus' followers. And one of the things that we need to clear out of our life is being untruthful people. Let's pray. Father, thank You for this wonderful passage. It's so important. It's so needed because we're in this world where lying is such a sick problem. Everybody knows it's a problem. So, Father, by Your grace, may we be so changed and be people of the truth that they can see through us Hey, you're different. Why is that? Well, it's because of Jesus. He's making a difference in my life. He's forgiven my sin. And I'm trusting in Him, the way, the truth, and the life. And then may people then be willing to listen to our testimony. And may people come to faith in Jesus because we live as truthful people. This we pray in His name. Amen.